hey, it's good to be here. It's good to be with you. It's good to be with family. This is, y'all don't understand. This is where it all began for me. This is where I remember getting ordained on this platform next to Pastor Julian and Christina Lowe before being sent out to plant a church in Azusa, California called Redeem Life Church. Y'all know y'all got cousins in Azusa, right? You have cousins in Azusa. And I'm over here. I'm already tripping. I brought my boy Aaron with me. Can y'all just show some love to him? Y'all need to clap harder because I'm still praying for him to be saved. Can we? No. I was just coming in here and I'm like, look at this place. I, I started tripping over there worshiping. I was like, is that Liam? Was that Liam on guitar? Like when I was in, like he was like nothing but, whoo, nothing but nothing. Um, but hey, so let me, let me act right. Um, I hear my, my wife and my voice, act right. Okay, so for those who don't know me, um, I'm your brother, I'm your cousin, call me uncle, aunt, whatever. Um, happy to be here. I want to make sure that you know who, who I am, but also who my family is because of the better part of me. Because um, my wife, Bonnie, says welcome along with our four kids, little Anthony, Alana, Leilani, and then we had our pandemic surprise, ha-ha, Isla who came, apparently me and my wife don't know how to social distance very well. Hey, praise God, it's blessed. So we have 16-year-old triplets, and then we had a 15-year break, and then Isla came along. We may have a picture of the family, because um, they are so, look at that! Come on, my little Blacksican babies! Look at that! <laughs> um, so... My wife says, thank you. We're so glad to be here. Aren't you glad when you have a family that is photographers? And well, y'all know we don't look like that, right? Y'all know. But that'll hook it up for you. Let me pray, because I need prayer. And so does your neighbor next to them. So go ahead and put your hand on their shoulder as we pray for one another. Father in heaven, we just thank you for the person that's sitting next to me first and foremost, God. We thank you, Lord that you've called them to such a place as this, at such a time as this, that even the fact that they are in my close proximity has been ordained by you. You actually plucked us out of eternity and placed us here, knowing that we'd be here on this day, on this Sunday, to hear your word. And so, Father, we just thank you for what we're about to receive. Lord, I pray for a word that is transformative, one that is going to take deep root in our souls, one that is going to yield a fruit that goes far beyond just this moment, but in the many, many moments to come. We ask for this in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, y'all, I'm going to jump in. I want to start off by asking you a question. What is the greatest act of love that you've ever done? Think about it. What is the greatest act of love that you've ever done? Now, I'm not talking about the greatest act of love that you've ever seen on TV, the greatest act of love that you saw someone else do, the greatest act of love that you saw somebody hashtag on social media, but what is actually the greatest act of love that you've ever done? Yeah, things that make you go, hmm, I heard give birth, praise God, I can't, I can't claim that one. Um, so I started thinking, okay, what is the greatest act of love? Well, my mind immediately goes to romantic love at first. I got to admit, I, I thought of the moment where I proposed to my boo, Catalina Island, went out there, did our thing, got down on one knee in the middle of the whole pavilion right there, pulled out the ring, pa-cow, cow, girl! You know you want some of this! Let's make it forever, right? Aren't you glad that she said, True story, I think I'm going to throw up. Praise God, he's a redeemer. Eventually a yes came after that. But when we think of what is the greatest act of love we've ever done, it's 
displays of love that are often the ones that are the most highlighted, the ones that we tend to want to brag about. But I wonder what are the acts of love that we've done that God brags about. I would argue that the greatest act of love that anyone could ever display are not in the moments when they're expressing love to those that they love, but are in the moments when they're expressing love to those that aren't so lovable. In those moments where it's really hard to love someone. So I got to tell you that this word is actually coming out of a time of intense prayer. I started off the year and I was going before God, praying and fasting as many of us do. And I said, God, what is it that the church needs to know? What is it that you're laying on my heart? What is the thing that, that is going to help us propel forward? And I heard him say, love one another. I said, okay, cool. Yeah, awesome. But he's like, no, no, I, I want you to love one another the way I have loved you. I'm like, well, that sounds like a familiar scripture. I recognize that from John 13, but he started to go in. Like, do you really love people? Like, come on, Lord. I'm a pastor, you know what I'm saying? It's kind of what I do. And he's like, no, you don't. What do you mean, I don't? So today, I'd like to actually show us in Scripture what I have come to embrace as the greatest act of love that I saw Jesus do only second to the cross that we find in Scripture. And after I exegete this passage of Scripture, I would wonder if you would agree. It's a demonstration of love that to this day convicts me at my core. To this day, I'm still striving to do better at. I want you to go with me in your Bible to John 13, verse 1. And if you brought your Bible today, go ahead and pull it out. Maybe you bought the old school leather bound or the new school digital. I want you to follow along with me in Scripture because... This is the word from our Father. We're going to go right to John 13. We're going to start right at the top in verse 1. It says this. It was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. So I always like to give a little bit of scriptural context. This is Passover in Hebrew. It's called Pesach, and it's a Jewish festival where the Jewish people come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover the time in the Exodus where God's people were delivered from Egyptian captivity. So this is a big deal. This is like New Year's Eve Times Square moment where everyone all over the world comes to one place. The uncles, the uncles, the tias, the theos, everyone's up in the spot and they're celebrating. It's a huge party. All from across the Roman world have come to the same place. So now, and it was at this kind of festival that the Passover meal was eaten in remembrance of that moment. The remembrance of that moment when the angel of death passed over the houses of the Israelites as they sprinkled the blood of an unblemished lamb over their mantle and over their doorpost. And as scriptures tell us, of the final plague, that if those who had not, those who were not identified as those who were coming under the blood of the lamb. Let me say that again. I want to make sure you get that. Those who were not coming under the blood of the lamb would experience death in their home. So I want you to get the significance of what was going on. And to this day, Jews all over the world celebrate Passover in obedience to this command. Passover and the story of the Exodus have a great significant meaning in terms of what's about to go down right here. And I need us to get that. There's great meaning in what Jesus was about to do and the timing in which he was about to do it. Because you see, Jesus was about to fulfill a law. He was about to fulfill a prophecy. And the Israelites, who in faith 
applied the blood of the Pascal, the Passover lamb, would be spared, and it's meant to serve as a model thereafter for you and I. As we step under the blood, that we'd be covered by the blood of the lamb. See, it's crazy to me to think that at the very same time that the Jewish people were celebrating their Passover meal, the Passover lamb, who is Jesus, was preparing himself to be slaughtered. So think about it for a second. Get that Times Square image. Everybody, hi. Eh, 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 eh. Getting their party on. It's a celebration. Yet at the very same moment where they were at the height of joy, Jesus was actually gathering in a room with his best friends in the world, preparing to be slaughtered for everybody. Everybody. Moving on, verse 2. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize what I'm going to do, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet, Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Now, if you've been in church for any length of time, this is... Not a new portion of scripture, probably. We've all heard this. I want you to fight the temptation to believe, heard it all before. Yeah, 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 I don't deserve. Like, fight that. I believe that God is going to give you new revelation because that's what the word of God does. Now, hear me. The practice of fish washing was an Old Testament tradition that went way back, and it was always performed by slaves or servants in the house. Because, you see, back in that day, there were only dirt roads. So think about this for a second. Dirt roads, so the natural foot attire would have been a leather sandal, probably adorned to the foot by some kind of rope. So you have people walking on old, dirty roads, the roads that many have traveled on the roads that their animals traveled on. So imagine walking on these old dirty roads with exposed feet where the animals are doing what they do do as you're walking along. So this is the setup for this foot watching. And when someone would enter a home and you came in with dirty, nasty, stank feet, Dirty, nasty, say dirty, nasty, stank feet. It'll bless you. Say dirty, nasty, stank feet. I just want to make sure we all get it. That it was customary for the slave or the servant of the house to wash the guest's feet. It was courtesy, especially considering the posture in which people lounged and had a meal together. So I want you to picture that meal. People lounging at this table. And as there are people lounging around this table... You don't want to eat this meal 
this beautiful meal prepared of unleavened bread and wine next to some dirty, nasty, stank feet. It's hard to enjoy a meal next to some ripe toe jam. Okay, I'm going to stop. You get, you get the point. You get the point. You get the point. You get the point. I'll move on. And the more I reflect on these events of this Last Supper, the more I call it the upside-down Last Supper of Jesus. Jesus turned everything upside down. For example, Jesus, hear me, church, the master wordsmith. Jesus, who the Bible tells us was the word. Jesus ran out of words. He was speechless. I'm going to show you in Scripture. like, what? What are you talking about? See, Jesus had told his disciples numerous times, I'm sure, as they travel along with him, that there is an important act of service that you must do if you are going to be a disciple that follows me. Serving was something that they would have been very aware of. So in this moment, as nobody is doing the foot washing, he decides to take this lesson of serving to a whole nother level. Because ain't nobody serving. You see, maybe you'll be comforted in this. Even the most faithful servants and students of Jesus can sometimes miss the point. You can hear a message. You can even experience a miracle firsthand as they have several miracles. And yet, miss it. You can be the best note taker in the room. Come on, anybody here good note takers? Like, it's okay being about taking it kind of like, you know, you're the kind of person that you put it out. Yeah, I see some hands. Come on, you lay it out, underline, circle, highlighters, whatever. Cup of tea, coffee, sit in your corner. Cedar smelling candles, what, what not. You take notes, and it's awesome, and it's wonderful, and you got it. And I, I would look at your Bible, and I'm like, wow. You got pop-ups coming out. Whoa, is that David and Goliath fighting? Did you create that? But the point is, who cares if you take good notes, but you're not actually going to do what the notes say? It was as if the disciples who had been taking notes for three years were being given their final exam, the last test, and they all failed. So it was just like, Jesus was like, I'm done talking. I'm doing this for, I'm done talking. Nobody's, okay, finally, I'm going to do what most good teachers do. When you see that your disciples, your students aren't getting it, you go to other means. And so that's what Jesus did. He took it to a whole other level. He's like, if y'all aren't going to connect the dots, if y'all notes aren't good enough, if y'all didn't take good enough notes to earn your master's degree, pun intended, master's degree. See what I did there? See the, I'm a dad, dad joke. To get the master's degree, then I'm going to demonstrate it through the way I live. Dirty, nasty, stank feet. We have to understand the significance of this act. It was, it was as if the president of the United States came down to Skid Row and began to get on his hands and knees and watch porta wash porta bodies because nobody in his cabinet volunteered to do so and he knew it needed to be done. Now hear me, that's not a political statement. It's not about who's in office. It's about what the office represents. So Jesus, to come from his stature and get down to the posture of a slave was deeply offensive. No, 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 no. You don't do that, Jesus. You don't do that, Jesus. Don't you know who you are? You don't do that. But he did. It's the upside down Last Supper.
an incredible demonstration of what it truly means to love one another. See, someone who only cares about what the Father thinks would do that. Someone who only cares about pleasing the Father. Someone who only cares about passing down the DNA from heaven to those that he loves the most would do that. Would stoop to that level. I got to point something else out that I don't want us to miss. It's really important. It pertains to the church and how we regard the women and men of God that the Lord has positioned to cover us. See, Jesus was a well enough known teacher at this point. What I mean by well enough known is like he was causing a ruckus. Crowds were forming wherever he went. So he was, for sake of not a better term, a celebrity at the time. He rolled into town, everybody popped up. Everybody, Bible's up, shouting, Hosanna! Ah! People falling over. Everywhere he went, he filled the place. So this is Jesus at this time. And the thing about that is, the crowd around him was giving him more praise. The crowd around him was giving him more honor. The crowd around him was willing to do anything to serve him, yet his disciples who were right next to him, who traveled with him, forgot who he was. And church, if we're not careful, we'll let familiarity tempt us to forget who the leaders, the women and the men of the family of God are. And we'll, we'll, we'll approach them with way too much familiarity when we've got to remember that there, there's, there's some reverence that needs to be given. And if we're not careful, we begin to approach God in the same way. Familiarity can become the enemy to authority. We must fight against the temptation to approach God in such a casual manner that we lose the reverence that we should have for the one who created it all. See, at this moment, the disciples were more focused on what Jesus could do for them. The Bible tells us they had been bickering about like, hey, when we get to heaven, homie, <laughs> can I sit next to you? Can I just put, they're more concerned about what Jesus could do for them than what they could do to serve Jesus, and he was right in front of them. How much more so do we need to be concerned about how we approach the throne of God? So, Jesus gets up, disrobes, assumes the role of a slave, and begins washing the disciples' feet. And I got to tell you, as I can Continue to strive to be a follower of Jesus. I want to love people like he does. I want to demonstrate my love for them by doing not just the things that others are willing to do, but actually do the things that often others aren't willing to do. Because that's what it truly means to love one another. That's the example that Jesus sets. So getting up early and serving up at church and coming to a place like this to prepare an atmosphere so others won't be distracted, but they can actually receive the presence of God, that's what it means to truly love one another. Not just do the popular things, but actually be willing to do the unpopular things. In those moments when a coworker is willing to throw me under the bus, as they do time and time again, and then my opportunity ha -ha, comes to where I can speak to and throw them under the bus, I choose to cover them instead, because that's what it means to love one another. <laughs> to do the hard stuff, 
not just the easy stuff. Not allowing my heart to grow hard towards a person who continues to make the same mistake over and over and over again and come back with a sorry, I'm sorry. You know what I mean? A sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, and, and, and all the conventional wisdom of the world would seem like, be done with that. That's just not what I see Jesus doing. Now, I'm not saying put ourselves in abusive, toxic situations, but I'm saying, ask God, and what does it truly mean to love this person? Because you have called me to love one another. Verse 10, Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, again, he's speaking to Peter, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. So here, Jesus experienced what it was to demonstrate to his disciples in that moment what it was to love someone, to love one another, even when it's hard to love one another. And he began to break down to, to Peter what was going on, essentially saying like, hey, man, you, you know me. You love me. You've been sanctified by me. And salvation is a one-time event. You only need to do it once. But there are others who have not. So you don't need your whole body washed. You've already been saved. But the continual washing, the making sure that the sin that tries to creep into our life continually gets pushed out, that continual foot washing, oh, all y'all still need that. So I don't need to wash all of you, but I need to wash those dirty stink parts. I need to wash your dirty stink feet. Everybody's dirty stink feet need to wash it every day because everyone has to travel on the road of life with the animals, with the people that I do when they do. I'm going to be me. I do what I do, boo-boo. That's me. That's who I am. All walking on this road. And when you walk on this road long enough, you're going to catch some stuff on your feet. But at some point, you got to come back under the covering, the blood of the lamb, and let him wash your dirty, stank feet. Y'all hear me, right? Y'all hear me, right? Y'all know what I'm saying, right? Y'all getting it? Y'all know what I'm saying? I love this in Isaiah 118. Come now, let us settle the matter together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. As if the Son of God washing the feet of the disciples wasn't already the greatest display of genuine humility, Jesus decides to take it up a notch. What we know is that, here's the thing I want us to catch. He did not just wash the feet of the people that he loved. He also washed the feet of the one who would betray him. This for me is the second greatest demonstration of love in the entire Bible outside of the cross. Jesus was willing to wash the feet of Judas. Knowing what Judas was about to do. I want you to put yourself inside scripture for a moment. I want you to visualize what that must have been like. Fully God, but also fully man. And I can't help but think of that picture of Jesus God is towel. The Bible tells us he disrobes. He comes down. He's washing his disciples' feet one by one, whether they protest. No, 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 let me wash your feet. 
Let me wash your feet. And then he comes to Judas. See, can I tell you Anthony's perspective in this moment? Y'all going to be blessed. I'm glad that brother ain't Jesus. I'd be like, Judas! <laughs> Bring your feet over, bruh. Bring your feet. I would have grabbed that ankle. I'd have laid hands on it. And it wouldn't have been a good thing. And in my imperfect human mind, I could see that that would seem justified, right? I can't help but think, knowing Jesus, hey, I need a clean basin of water for Judas, please. Thank you, Peter. As he looked into his eyes with the most loving gaze anyone could give and tenderly made sure he got everything off his feet. Knowing this man was about to be the cause of not just death, y'all, torture, excruciating pain in front of his mother, caused by this man's betrayal. And yet in this moment, he was like, all I want to do is love you. And began to wash his feet. Can you do that? Can we do that? Can we wash the feet, not of just those that we love, but of those that have set out to intentionally hurt us and intentionally betray us? Because that's what the Bible says we're called to do, to love one another the way that I have loved you. As I reflected on this thought, thought about what it must have been like and I began to get wrecked in my prayer time. You're right. I, I'm not good at loving people. I got to tell you, like several weeks ago, I struggled to be kind to a waste management person on the phone. So how it looks like in Azusa, you have to call. If you have bulk trash items, you have to call the office, email them, and they come out and they pick out your trash. So I did that. I emailed one week, nothing happened. Two weeks, nothing happened. I'm like, what? I kept emailing, nothing. So I call them up and say, hey, I got some bulk trash. I got a couple old desks that I want you to come and take. And I got the woman you know. Oh, but did you send an email? Yes, ma'am, I sent a couple emails. Uh, well, let me check. Well, I don't, I, don't, well, I don't see an email here. I sent an email. Are you sure you? Yes, ma'am, I sent an email. Well, what kind of items do you, like, attitude? What kind of items? Like, I have to, like, everything in me. I was praying in the spirit because I want what I want. Hold up. No, no, don't come. I'm not the one, lady. I'm not the one. The spirit of God, praise God, must have been working in that moment. Got her all the information try to crack a joke or two, you know, trying to like, okay, I'm alive in this stuff, you know, because, you know, sometimes you got kids, and she was like, uh-huh, so uh, they'll be there, like, nothing, nothing, and I hung up the phone, not proud of it, oh, God bless you, not proud of it, y'all, I had a hard time operating in loving and forgiveness to a person on the phone that I never even met, let alone someone who was about to come and betray me and cost me my very life. We got to do better. We got to do better. And not just loving those that are easy to love, but especially loving those who are not. Why? Because that's the way that Jesus loved 
us. Moving on to verse 12. When he was finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to the place, his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Say one another. Come on, church, say one another. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do these things. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do these things. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you what? Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do these things. Now that you know to encourage others, you will be blessed if you actually do what? Encourage others. Now that you know that you should pray for others, you'll be blessed if you what? Actually pray for others. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do. It, here's what it doesn't say. It doesn't say now that you know these things, like reading scripture, you'll be blessed if you do these things. Now I'm not saying it's not a blessing to read scripture. But what I'm saying is, if you don't do what the scripture says, it ain't as much of a blessing as it should be. He says in John 17, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. So church, I ache to be a part of a faith community that would actually do what the Bible says. That we won't just sing worship songs about doing them. That we won't just praise others in social media for doing them. Hashtag not today, Satan. Awesome. But that we would actually be the kind of people that would do those things. And I got to share something with you, something that I've experienced in the church that wrecks me. We, even in the church, cannot love one another if we're not even being willing to be with one another in the same room. Do you hear me? If you were to ask me what is one of the greatest obstacles that is holding the church back from going to the next level and what God has for us, I would say it's our unwillingness to show up sacrificially and forgive one another obediently. Comfort and convenience are the enemy to faith and obedience. Comfort and convenience are the enemy to faith and obedience. We cannot love one another if we don't even know one another. And you can't know someone that you're not even willing to be in the same room with. It's hard to love those that you won't forgive. We actually have to move past the offense. We have to move past the resentment. We have to move past the comparison. We have to move past the jealousy. We have to move past the bitterness. We have to move past the idea that unless people in church love me the way I like to be loved, in the way that I like to be loved, in the timing in which I'm asking you to love me, so unless you can do it in this box that I've confined that says, this is how you love me, I'm not gonna give my heart to you because you're not trustworthy. Well, here's the truth, church. Nobody is. Only Jesus is. But it doesn't change what the man said. We are called to love one another. 
not just when we're acting right, but also when we ain't acting so right. We still have to know what it's like to love one another because this is what love is. He says this at the end of John 13, and this is where I was laid on my back. A new command I give you, a new command. He's talking to his disciples who have just traveled with him for three years before he's gonna go to the cross and give his life for them. And he says, I give to you a new command. Meaning that the commands that he told them before about love didn't exemplify this. So he's like, I need you to get it. Take notes again. I give you a new command. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If you love one another. He's saying, it's got to start in this room, y'all. Y'all have to get real good at loving one another because you have no idea what's coming. And if you can't get this in here with the people that have been walking with you, the people who have seen the miracles, experienced the signs and wonders and all, hear my heart, they saw all that. They heard the prophetic words. They witnessed it live. And he's saying, that meant nothing unless you can love. Glad that you got that great word. You needed it. But unless you're loving better, it means nothing. You're nothing but a clanging gong and a crashing cymbal. You have to love each other well. And you got to start with the people that I've placed in your life. I need you to bow your head and close your eyes for a moment. I want you to sense this. We are all called to a higher standard of what it means to love one another. To exemplify in our lives what that really looks like. To not just play church, but be the church. To not just act like we love, but actually love. So we're going to have a moment right now. A moment when I'm, Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're in this place. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're moving in this place. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you know everybody in here by name. Not only do you know them by name, but you actually have every hair on their head counted and it's written down in your book. You know when they come, you know where they go, you know what they do, you also know what they think. You know what they think they should do and what they actually do. And you love them and you call them righteous, you call them blessed because that's what you do, that's who you are. Spirit of God, I pray that in this moment, Lord, you begin to fall in this place in such a way that with every head bowed and every eye closed, Lord, I'm gonna ask the Spirit of God, Lord, in this moment, will you drop a name, a face, a vision in the hearts and minds of your people right now or people that they need to do better at loving? right now in the name of Jesus, dropping a name, a vision, an impression of someone in their world right now that you are asking them to love. Whether it's a family member, whether it's someone that they pass along the way, whether it's a coworker, whether it's someone that they see at their favorite coffee shop, someone at the gym, someone that they go to school with. Father, you're dropping a name and a vision of someone that you want them to love better someone perhaps that has hurt them, maybe even abused them, someone that they've been holding on to so much rage, such a sense of betrayal that it's actually poisoning them and poisoning their faith in you. And Father, in this moment, you're saying, that person, yes, that person, I need you to love. And Father, I thank you that in this moment, you're gonna give us the strength to do so. As we step, take a step of faith towards you, 
you will take a step of faith towards us. And now with all our heads bowed, I just, I actually want to pray for those who said they got someone, they heard someone. So I can pray for that strength to come over you. And I'm just going to ask you just to raise your hand in this moment. If you, if the Lord placed someone on you, I see those all over the place. If the Lord placed, Heavenly Father, that's not enough. Heavenly Father, that's not enough. Heavenly Father, that's not enough. I'm going to ask, Lord, that you place the impression on every single person in this room, someone that you've called them to love more. Yes, 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 yes. That's what I'm talking about. Maybe it's a small offense. Maybe it's something that they've just been holding on to a grudge, a sense of I'm going to hold my heart back from you. And Father, I thank you that you are restoring them right now. And Father, that you are faithful to do so. Father, I thank you for every hand that's raised right now. I thank you, God, for the way that you're ministering to your people in this moment. Lord, I thank you that you're moving in this place, God. We give all your people to you, Father. We thank you that strength is going to come from the Spirit of God within to step out in faith and do what you've asked them to do in the mighty name of Jesus, in the mighty name of Jesus. And you can lower your hands. I don't want to stay in this posture of prayer. Just one more ask. I don't want to leave this place. Perhaps you're in this place right now and you have not made that decision. Like, hey, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior and my Lord. I want you to come in. I want you to wreck me for good. I want to change my life around. I want to give my life over to you. And you've never made that decision to do so. I want to give you an opportunity to do so right now. This is a moment. This is between you and God and nobody else. You and God, nobody else. You're just deciding in this moment, hey, from now on, I'm going to be a disciple of God. I'm going to be the one that takes notes, and I'm going to be the one that actually does them. I'm going to spend my life following you and committing myself to you, and I want to give you my all in all because you are the all in all. And if that's you, I'm just going to ask you now to go ahead and raise your hand. Just go ahead and put it high, put it high, put it high, put it high, put it high. Put it high. I see those. Put it high, put it high, put it high. Father in heaven, I thank you for the hands that are raised in this place, God. I thank you, Lord, for those that are saying, I commit my life to you, Lord, that I'm giving it all to you. Praise God. Praise God. I thank you, God, that an awakening is starting in, in us right now, Lord. And I dedicate this time, Father, to you as we agree that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for you and me, that he paid the penalty of sin and death, and that we repent, we confess that we've made mistakes. We've all made mistakes that we want to do better, Lord Jesus. And as we give our life over to you, Father, it is the sweetest act of worship that we can ever give. As we give our life over to you, God, we can say, Jesus, you are Savior, you are Lord, you are a demonstration of what it means to truly, truly, truly love one another. And Father, by your power, by your strength, by your spirit, says the Lord, I will love better. I will do better because you are the God that loves. You are the God that cares. You are the God that forgives. You are the God that I give my life to. And we give you all our best worship. In Jesus' name, amen.